home tonight. Hallelujah. What a blessed hope that we have of seeing the Lord soon and very soon. I don't know if you've been seeing what I've been seeing. It seems like soon and very soon is not just a song. That's the truth. Amen. I was sitting over there thinking we're uh, singing and the presence of the Lord is so sweet, so rich. And uh, circumstances, life can get you down. Sometimes it feels like you just it's everything you can do to get to the house of prayer. You know, every distraction would try to keep you away. And then the presence of the Lord. We used to sing an old song said, when you look full in his wonderful face, the things of earth grow strangely dim in the light of his glory and grace. Now, when I was young, I thought that meant that when you really were focused on the Lord, earthly riches, earthly accomplishments, all of those things fade. That's true. But the older I get, and the more clearly I see that this life is just a veil of tears, and that everything is temporary at best, and there's hurt. And Job said, man born of a woman is a few days and full of trouble. And if we're not careful, we get focused on all the difficulties and all the trials and all the situations that would rule our lives. But when we look full in his wonderful face, the things of earth grow strangely dim. All of a sudden, my problems don't seem so big anymore. Because the Lord is on our side. And Paul said, the peace of God that passes all understanding. I can't explain it to you. I can't understand it, much less explain it. It shall guard your hearts and minds. That word there, or keep, King James says, keep your heart. It means set up a garrison, <laughs> a military guard to protect us and keep us. I'm going to tell you, you try to go through this world without the peace of God, you're going to suffer injury, you're going to suffer damage, you're going to be, you're going to be broken by the things of this world. But the peace of God that passes all understanding will keep your heart. That wasn't in the notes, but there it is anyway. Amen. If you'll turn with me, I'll let you sit down shortly in just a moment. If you'll turn with me to Joshua 3. Scripture says Joshua rose early in the morning and they removed from Shittim and came to Jordan, he and all the children of Israel and lodged there before they passed over. And it came to pass after three days that the officers went through the host and they commanded the people saying, when you see the ark of the covenant of the Lord, your God, 
and the priests, the Levites bearing it, you shall remove from your place and go after it. Yet there shall be a space between you and it, about 2,000 cubits by measure. Come not near unto it, that you may know the way by which you must go, for you have not passed this way heretofore. And Joshua said unto the people, Sanctify yourselves, for tomorrow the Lord will do wonders among you. And Joshua spake unto the priests, saying, Take up the ark of the covenant and pass over before the people. And they took up the ark of the covenant and went before the people. Why don't we just go to prayer tonight? It's a very familiar passage. Many of you probably know very well the setting. But I want to trust the Lord is going to speak to us a little bit tonight and encourage our hearts with what he has for us. Amen. Would, we, would you go to the Lord with me right now? Lord, we're so grateful for the opportunity to be gathered together with your people and the opportunity, Lord, to dig and delve into your word and to look deeply into the word of God and to hear what the Spirit would say to the churches. Our trust tonight, Lord, that our hearts would be open to hear your voice and that you would anoint our hearts to receive your word, that we would be that that ground, O Lord, that is fertile ground, that allow the seed of the Word of God to fall into us and take up root deep within us, and that it would grow and it would strengthen and nourish us, O Lord. We ask tonight that you meet with us and that you anoint our hearts and minds and that we would receive and accept what you have for us, and we ask these things in Jesus' name. In Jesus' name, amen. You may be seated tonight. <clears throat> a few weeks ago, on Wednesday night, I, I um, talked to you a little bit about the verses in Exodus and Deuteronomy that, where the Lord expressed to the children of Israel that he was, though he had delivered them from Egypt in one night, he was going to take them to the promised land but he would not deliver them the promised land even in one year. But there was a process and that he was going to give it to them little by little. And we talked a, a bit about that. And as I was thinking about that in preparation for it and um, for any of you that have ever taught a Bible study or said something uh, had an opportunity to speak to people, there is a great deal of clarity that comes after the opportunity. When the moment is passed, it becomes clear what you should have said. And, uh, and so as I, was, as I was thinking over and allowing the Lord to kind of uh, marinate my heart a little bit, I, 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 had this, I had this thought about that maybe there was some uh, maybe there was some more juice in those verses and in uh, in that setting. And I, I had something that just kind of came to my mind. I thought, you know, there's a lot that we can learn from this process of conquest that the children of Israel went through when they left Egypt and they went through their wilderness experience and then the Lord took them into the land of promise. And And so I just had this this idea that maybe there would be some gleanings from the conquest, some, some things worth 
thinking about, worth meditating on. And, you know, just as an aside, I think in our modern world, the Eastern religions have tried to monopolize and and uh, co-opt the meditation idea. But don't be fooled, that is a scriptural idea. The idea of meditating upon the word of the Lord. The psalmist said, I will meditate in his word day and night. He said, I will think on his word in the night watches. When there's, this is the beauty of Bible memorization is that when there is no light and you are alone in the dark, the word is still with you. And I'm so thankful for what Brother Long preached on Sunday night because there's a lot of stuff in this world that's worn worn out. Everything is worn out but the word of God. It is the anvil that has worn out many hammers and it will not change. It will not be changed. There is something that we can hang on to in the word of the Lord. And so as I was thinking about these, I don't know, Maybe there will be several of these along the way. This is not the kind of, okay, I'm just, I'm kind of an engineer. So when I think of series, I like to say, well, here are the four parts and we'll start on this day and we'll finish on that day and we'll be done with it. This is not, this is not that kind of series. It doesn't have to be consecutive. It doesn't have to be week to week. I can't even promise you that the next opportunity I have to be here, this is what we'll be talking about. But I do have a sense that somewhere along the way, we may just pick up a few of these gleanings as we go through and allow ourselves to meditate on these things and on what the Lord has for us and allow the Lord to speak to us through his word. It is no accident, and Pastor Pastor talked about this on Sunday morning. The, the Old Testament, I, I heard someone I heard someone one time say, I I preach only from the New Testament. I think I've probably said this in Bible study somewhere. I I don't preach much from the Old Testament, they said, because I'm not much of a storyteller. I nearly fell off my pew. First of all, because he really kind of was a storyteller. But, But really, mostly, if that's what you think the Old Testament is, you've missed the point. And the Old Testament is there to instruct us and to give us some direction of what the Lord has in our lives. I would say it this way. The Lord in the nation of Israel did physically what he wants to do for his new nation, what he wants to do for us. We've been born again. We're in a new nation. We're a chosen generation. We're a royal priesthood. What he did for the nation of Israel physically is what he desires to do in the church spiritually. And that's why pastor quoted Romans 15, 4, I believe it was Sunday morning, and said all these things were written for our learning. That we, through patience and comfort of the scriptures might have hope. The Lord laid down some things to show to us that he's, 
This is not just some fly-by-night idea, and if it doesn't work, he's going to abandon it. No, there is, there is a certain patience of the Lord. From the time of Adam and Eve's fall to Calvary, there's a few thousand years in there, and there is the history of the nation of Israel and all of their revivals and backsliding and revivals and backsliding and slavery and rescue and backsliding and revival, and the Lord was exercising patience with them. Because he knew he just kind of had to hold everything together until he could get to Calvary. And when the fullness of time was come, God sent forth his son made of a woman, made under the law. But it's that fullness of time that kind of wrecks our brain sometimes. Because I want it to happen now. I want it to be taken care of right now. And, and, and Paul says, wait a minute. Look back. All those things in the Old Testament, that's not just God telling some random historical story. No, that stuff was written for your learning. And it was written not only for your own patience, but through the patience of the scriptures and the comfort of the scriptures. You might have hope. What is the comfort? Is it that Israel backslid regularly? No. The comfort of the Old Testament is that God never turned his back on them. He never broke his promise to them. He was always reaching for them. He was always seeking for them. And that's important for us. Paul also wrote to the Corinthians. In 1 Corinthians 10, he said, All these things happened unto them for examples. And they're written for our admonition. We ought to be learning from what happened to them. They're written for our admonition upon whom the ends of the world are come. The the example is there. And so when we start thinking about this conquest, there's any number of lessons. You can go, you can spend no telling how many hours We've already talked at length about how the rescue from Israel and the Passover was symbolic of the Lord delivering them from sin, Egypt being a type of sin, and it enslaved them and it bound them. How many know that sin is a slave driver? How many know that sin is a hard taskmaster? There's, it's, it looks so enticing when you first start down the path, it seems like, why, is, why would anybody not want to do this? This is the most exciting thing. This is the most thrilling thing. But it's not very long until you realize, I'm not in control here. I'm not having fun. But sin is having fun at my expense. And I am enslaved. And, and while they had gone to Egypt in their history to save themselves, they, they stayed there and they wound up being enslaved by the very thing that had brought them survival. And all these things were written for our examples. (laughs) And they're written for our admonition. We're supposed to learn from these things. Now, I think the first thing to learn from the conquest, the most important thing is that when Israel came out of Egypt, it was God's will for them to go immediately into the promised land. So there's two pieces to this. First of all, let me just say as an, as an overarching point, the entrance into the promised land and the conquest of Canaan is not a type of heaven. That's not a type of the afterlife. Now, 
you might be confused if you listen to much gospel music because crossing Jordan is always symbolic with death, right? Chili Jordan, I got to cross Chili Jordan and heaven's on the other side, right? I, I don't believe that's true because when we, when we walk into heaven and those pearly gates click behind us, there's no more conquest to be made. It is finished. It is really finished. And if you think about what happened during the conquest, marching around Jericho, the sin of Achan, taking the wedge of gold and the beautiful Babylonian garment and keeping it to himself, there's no sin in heaven. The conquest is not a type, entering into the promised land is not a type of heaven. No, actually it is a type of the life that we are supposed to be living now in Christ. And the idea behind the conquest, when the Lord gave them the promise of going into the promised land, he said, I will go with you. You will not do this alone. We're going to have victory. Everywhere you put your foot, you will have victory. And as long as they were obedient to him, they did. They had victory. It was only in their disobedience when they paused. Now the Lord is... The Lord is very serious about his types. When he has something that is intended to be an example or an instruction for later generations, he's very insistent that you be obedient so that his type plays out and can be used as it was intended. All these things were written for our learning. Now, Israel had a different idea when they came out. And they came out from Egypt. And it seems like I refer to this often, but you think about the miracles that they had seen. They saw all of the plagues. They were protected from those plagues. They were kept in the entire time that the Lord was dealing with Pharaoh and ultimately They went out from Pharaoh after the death of the firstborn throughout the nation of Egypt and they were carried miraculously through the Red Sea and not just were they carried through the Red Sea but their greatest enemy was destroyed behind them in the very thing that was intended uh, to the the very thing that gave them victory and gave them freedom it destroyed their enemy. And It was God's intent that they go straight from there to take the promised land. And they sent spies and said, what do you think? Sometimes that's our problem. We think too much. It's a fine line, don't get me wrong. There's a lot of folks don't think enough. But, But sometimes when the Lord says to be obedient, we just need to be obedient. And the challenge that they faced was they put themselves in the position of deciding whether this was a good idea or not. Why in the world would they be questioning? The Lord had just destroyed the army of Egypt behind them. What could they have been afraid of? But when they went to scout, you know the story. They saw the giants. They saw the land. It's too much for us. And so it was their unbelief. Now there's an ironic thing. It's, it's, 
It's not unusual. It's characteristic of humanity. You see it in the New Testament. They're, the disciples watch the Lord feed 5,000. And then they get on a boat and they're in the middle of the storm and they think they're going to drown and they're panicking and they wake the Lord and he says, peace be still. And they say, what manner of man is this? And the scripture says, because they considered not the miracle of the loaves and fishes. Six, eight hours before he just fed 5,000 and you're, you were worried about the storm that you're in. I suspect every one of us has a story that we can tell. Where our own faith, we, we talk about the Old Testament prophet that sat under the juniper tree and said, Lord, kill me after he had just called fire down out from heaven. But he was intimidated by this crazy woman, Jezebel. And so he says, Lord, just take me now. How many of us have, have stories in our own lives that we, we might be embarrassed to tell, but the Lord had done great things. And yet the next step we think, oh, Lord, this one's too much. It's too much. And when the writer of the book of Hebrews comes along and he starts telling this story, he says to the readers, don't harden your hearts. Like the fathers did in the day of provocation. How would you like for a chapter of your life to be noted by a title, the day of provocation? This was the day in which you provoked the Lord. My biographer comes along to write the story of my life and says, oh, remember the day he provoked the Lord? Heaven help us. And the writer says, harden not your hearts as in the day of provocation. And he goes on to explain how the Lord was displeased with many of them. What was their crime? Was it idolatry? Had they turned to wickedness? Had they... Uh, were they overthrown by their great enemies? There were seven nations that they were going to take the land from. Did, did, they, did they lose to them in battle and the Lord was displeased because their performance was not up to snuff? No. He said he was displeased with them because of their unbelief. Right. Gleanings from the conquest because just had this miraculous deliverance but they couldn't trust the Lord for the extra step. So what are you saying tonight, Brother Starks? Well, let me just cut to the chase and then we'll, we'll loop around a few times. Whenever you come to the Lord and whenever you repent and the Lord meets you at your place of desperation and you go down into the water and your sins are washed away and it's not just that those actions and the consequences of those actions, the eternal consequences have been wiped away, but the Lord destroys the power of sin in your life just like he took the Egyptian army away. And you come up out of that water and you're filled with the Spirit and you rise to walk in newness of life. The next step is that there is a promised land that you are supposed to inhabit. There is a life of victory that we are supposed to live. And and the, the danger is that we stop short. It, it, that's what the writer said. They They stopped short of what God had for them. And it was their unbelief that displeased him. Uh, Hebrews 3.12 says, Take care lest in any of you there be an evil heart of wickedness, an evil heart of addiction, an evil heart of fornication, an evil heart of 
whatever of lying, of murder, an evil heart, of any of these heinous things that you think of. No, he said, take heed lest there be in you an evil heart of unbelief. The Lord said of his own ministry that there were regions where he could not do miracles because of their unbelief. It's our own unbelief that limits what the Lord can do in our own lives. And the Lord took this so seriously that even though it was his plan for them to go directly from the Red Sea as quickly as possible into Canaan and to take over Canaan, their unbelief, the Lord was willing to put pause on his plan for 40 years. Because he said, those 10 spies and their tribes and everyone associated with them None of them will inherit my promise because of their unbelief. And I will take you in circles until they all die. It's exactly what he did. Only Joshua and Caleb and their families were among those that were originally came out of Egypt and were still around to go into Canaan because of unbelief. And so these things become our our own admonition. They become our own learning. These are the gleanings. These are the messages that we get. And sometimes it feels like we're stuck in our lives walking around in circles. And it is, those, it is as though the Lord is saying, I'm going to march you in circles until every, every drop of unbelief is leached out of you. And at the point where you can believe me again then we can go forward and we can live in victory and we can take the land. The Lord was willing to just put all of that on hold and just wait. Because why? Because there was an important lesson he was trying to preserve for us that the miracle that he did for us yesterday should encourage us and it should embolden us. Now the word encourage, you think about that, that doesn't just mean to comfort or console but it means it places courage inside of us it encourages us and the lord's saying what i have done for you miraculously that you could not have contributed to at all i'm willing to walk by your side and help you live in victory if you will just be encouraged and go in this direction but they couldn't they couldn't see how the lord would possibly do that if you if we were to do think about several of these things i think the common thread in our gleanings from the conquest is always going to be trust god just trust god and be obedient do what the lord is telling you to do i've mentioned before the lord does take his type seriously the story of moses around this time the children of israel wandering and they were hungry and they were thirsty. And 1 Corinthians 10, Paul tells us they, they ate of the spiritual meat that the Lord gave them and they drank of the rock that followed them. And that rock was Christ. This is, all, this is all so important. I mean, Paul gets pretty serious about this. In Galatians, he makes a distinction between the singular and the plural. He says, unto thy seed as of one, not unto thy seeds as of many. Paul is saying the Old Testament is so important that it's a, the distinction between singular and plural matters. And so the Lord says to Moses, the first time strike the rock, the water comes out. 
The second time, the children of Israel were murmuring and Moses was aggravated. And the Lord said, speak to the rock. And in his anger, he smote the rock again. And the Lord said, because of your disobedience, your unbelief, you're not going to go into the promised land. You're going to die with all of those that said you couldn't go there. You're going to die with all the ones that said we can never do this. I've always and still do think what a heavy price for Moses personally to play. He got to pay. He got to go up into the mountain. He got to look over and see it, but he never got to go in. Because the Lord said, my type is that that rock that was following you was Christ. And he was smitten one time at Calvary. But once that was finished, then every time after that, if you have a need, all you have to do is speak to the rock and the rock can give forth everything that you need. And he's saying to Moses, you messed up my type. And he's saying to the children of Israel, I wanted you to go from victory to victory, from conquest to conquest, but you messed up my type. You're going to wander in circles for 40 years until all of that is dead and then we'll continue the story. I don't know about you, but I don't, I don't want to have to wander around for 40 years to figure it out. Lord, I, my, I feel like the man in the New Testament, my life verse, Lord, I believe, help my unbelief. <laughs> I, 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 I'm trying, Lord, I, there's just, I got questions. Now, it's okay, really, it's okay. We got Bible for that too, because Mary said, how can this be, seeing I know not a man? And the angel explained it. Now, you may think, well, that's okay. Remember, about the same time, Zacharias had gotten a visit from an angel. And the angel said, your wife is going to be with child. And he said, well, how am I going to know this? And the angel must have had a puzzled look on his face. I'm an angel from the very presence of God. I'm appearing to you and I'm telling you, and you want to know how will I know? He says, effectively... This is my translation, okay? It's my passion translation. The more you talk, the more trouble you get get into. You're not talking again until the kid gets the right name. Because every question you're asking me is engendering doubt. But Mary asked a very similar question. How can this be? So questions are okay, but where is the... Is there belief? Is there... Mary was ready to say, whatever you say, just let it be unto me. That's fine. I, I, it was not coming from a place of doubt. It was sheer puzzlement. I think that's where a lot of us are. But Lord, don't let it get to the point where it impacts our obedience and our behavior. Now, when we talked about this a few weeks ago, you know, I think it was, uh, there's a history book that I read. And in the opening pages of the book, the writer said, and I didn't read the whole book. I have, I guess, full disclosure. I get started on a lot of books. Um, but in the opening pages, the, the author said, the challenge to writing history is knowing where to start. Because if you're going to write a history of World War I, well, it didn't just randomly happen out of nothing. So you have to go set the context for for what World War I sprang out of, but how far back, you can just keep going back and back because all of these events are connected. So when we start talking about the conquest, it's how far back do we go? I decided, okay, we're going to talk about the fact that the Lord said, I'm not going to give you this in one night or one year, but little by little, I'm going to give it to you. And we talked about how, you know, 
this is an important aspect of our walking with the Lord. It was his intention to bring them victory. It was his intention to take them into the land of Canaan. But this was different than what they had seen before. They saw plagues. They saw lightning. They saw hail. They saw rivers and water turned to blood. They saw all of these mighty signs. They saw the Lord himself going through the whole land, taking out the firstborn. But this is different. Now he says, I want you to walk with me. We come to the Lord, we're desperate, and God rescues us mercifully from things that would destroy us. And then he says, I want you to walk with me. And you said, but I got this other problem I want you to do the zap thing on. I want you to, can, can you do, can you take care of this the way you took care of that? He says, no, let's take care of that together. I'm not going to do it for you in one night. You're going to learn how to walk with me. And everywhere your foot falls, you're going to have victory, but you're going to learn to walk with me. You see, they'd been enslaved for 400 years. They had a slavery mentality. They had been told everything to do. They were told when they could do everything, what time they were supposed to eat, what time they were supposed to get up, when they were supposed to be in the bed, what they're supposed to be doing. Every waking hour of the day, they were completely controlled. And the Lord's saying, I've got a land that I want you to inhabit, but you need to be stewards of that land. And there's a different kind of mentality. A slavery mentality doesn't work. Can I tell you that when you come out of a life of sin, those ideas and those ways of thinking, they will not bring you victory working and living for God. You're going to have to learn how to live and how to walk differently with the Lord. And so the Lord says, I'm going to give you this a little bit at a time. Because, yes, I'm going to give you houses you didn't build. And I'm going to give you wells you didn't dig. And I'm going to give you vineyards you didn't plant. But somewhere along the way, you've got to learn what it means to dress a vineyard. That vineyard's not going to take care of itself. That well is not going to stay clean by itself. That house is not, it may be built and you may have inherited it and you didn't build it. But you're going to have to be the one to take care of it. And you're going to have to learn how to do these things. You see, if the Lord just rescued us from every mess that we got ourselves into, we're not living in victory. We're not growing. We're not strong. We're getting ourselves in trouble and God bailing us out like a spoiled kid or something. And in fact, to... To grab a modern set of terminology, if the Lord did that for us all the time and didn't teach us, the Lord is merciful and he's good to us and he will help us and he will rescue us. But a lot of times he's expecting us to at least be trying to crawl up out of the pit that we got ourselves into and he's helping us get out of the pit. He's not just lifting down there, lifting us up and out. Because in our modern terminology, all he would be doing is enabling our continued toxic lifestyle. We continue to live in sin. He continues to bail us out. We're no different. We're no stronger. We don't know him any better. We don't love his character any better. The whole problem of the prodigal was that he wanted the inheritance without any of the process. And what happened when he got a hold of the inheritance before he was ready? He squandered it. And what the father was saying was, hey, why don't you work with me? 
I'll, I'll keep you safe in the house and you can grow and mature. And when you're ready, you'll have all of this. I'll take care of you from now until then. But as you grow, as you go little by little through this process, you're going to grow and you're going to get stronger and you're going to live victoriously so that when the inheritance comes at the end, you're ready for it. The children of Israel couldn't, couldn't comprehend and they looked and the task was too daunting. And so they said, we can't do it. It's unbelief. We just don't, there's just no way that we can do that. If you read Joshua chapter 3, it kind of makes the point here. And I'll come to a close. Joshua tells them, and the officers tell them, the ark is going before you. But you need to keep your eyes open. You need to stay back so that you have some perspective. You think, if we're talking about conquest, we're talking about taking new territory, we're talking about overcoming, we ought to be pressing forward. We ought to be pushing. This ought to be aggressive. And Joshua and the officers are saying, wait a minute, let the Spirit of the Lord go. Let the Ark of the Covenant go out in front of you. Paul says in the New Testament, we walk not after the flesh, but after the spirit. After the spirit. I think of it just like a good southern gentleman. After you, Lord. I open the door, you go, I follow. After you, Lord. If I get ahead, no telling what kind of trouble I'm getting into. My perspective gets all turned around. And Joshua said, "You look, y'all need to stay back. You need to let the Ark of the Covenant go forward. Why? You've not been this way before. You, <laughs> you've been the last 40 years wandering around in the wilderness. And you've been going in circles. And you may have gotten to the point where you recognize this mountain or that mountain because you've just walked in circles. But let me tell you something. You've never been this way before. And what the Lord is saying to us, we come to him. We have the power of the Spirit. And now he says, you need to learn to follow the Spirit because you've never lived like this before. You're used to making your own decisions. You're used to doing whatever just feels right at the moment. You're used to just kind of fly by the seat of your pants. We're just going to, we're going to figure this out as we go. Lord, so wait a minute. Why don't you let me lead the way? Because uh, I know my way around here. You, you've not been this way before. Let, let me lead. Oh man, that's like revolutionary for some of us. To slow down and allow the Lord to lead us on. And allow the Lord to show us the direction to go and the way that we ought to behave and the, the way we ought to respond to this situation or that situation. Oh man, we're used to flying off the handle. Like I can fix that. We think we can fix it. But now let's take an honest assessment. How many of the things that we fixed actually got fixed? <laughs> How many crops did I tear up trying to get after a few little tears and make sure that it was taken care of and I ruined good grain in the process? The Lord says, just let me deal with this. Why don't you stand with me tonight? The Lord, amen. The Lord was not and is not obligated to ever do things the way he did them before. And when he brought us out of sin, he did miraculous things in short order. 
When he brought Israel out of Egypt, he did it in one night. But he knows, in his wisdom, he knows what we need for the next step, for the next stage, for the next phase of life. How to get us from here to where we need to be. How to, how to lead us and, and allow us to grow with authenticity in the presence and learn to trust in the presence and the strength of the Lord. He knows just how to do that. And it's only our unbelief, our unwillingness to obey that keeps the Lord from doing that. I, I was raised in the church. And um, so you can do the math. I was young in the 70s, and the 80s. Those of you that are familiar with the way things were preached and taught in the 70s and 80s, you know there's, I, I say this in a joking way, a little PTSD about some things you worried you know was the lord going to come tonight i was thinking the wrong thought you know and uh, but but i'm going to tell you you know the lord is gracious to us and he keeps us and he puts us on the right track and brother kilgore helped me 35 years ago or more it was more than 35 years ago because i hadn't met my wife yet i remember where i was sitting it's a Sunday night. Sunday morning, he said, come to church tonight. I have a special message. Sunday night, he preached you. Now, this seems heretical, folks. You can have doubts and be saved. Now, that flies in the face of what seems like I've been talking about for the last half hour. He said, you can have doubts and be saved. And he had my attention. Because I say, Lord, I believe, but help my unbelief. He said, you the crux of his message was you need enough faith to obey. You need enough faith to obey. It was Israel's disobedience that was rooted in their unbelief that kept God from carrying them into the promised land immediately. Of course they would have questions. How are we going to do this? And you know as well as I do, we know God has wrought great victories in the past, but there is part of our flesh that rises up and says, but this is different. It's never been on this wise before. It's never been like this before. But if we can somehow muster enough faith to just say, lead Lord, I'll follow. He's not asking us to solve the problem. He's not asking us even to be out front. He says, Follow after the Spirit. I know you haven't been this way before. And if we can just somehow in our spirit gather up enough faith to say, I'll follow you, Lord, wherever you lead, then the Lord can do great things, not because of us, in spite of us, but he does great things for us. Amen? Amen. Let's thank the Lord tonight for his word. Lord, we're so grateful for your word and the way that you have stored up treasures for us in your word. Lord, we know that you desire for us to live in victory, not to be intimidated by sin. And in spite of situations and circumstances, and we ask why and we ask how, yet, Lord, let there be enough faith in our hearts to say, I will trust you, Lord, to deal with this. I will trust you, Lord, to work it out in your time and in your way, and that you will bring victory to my life, and that I will grow and I will be strengthened and I will learn to trust you for even greater things. Lord, we look to you tonight. You are the strength that we need. We don't have anything that we can offer. 
we stand here, Lord, as, as worthless and with nothing to bring to bear, but we give ourselves to you and we have entrusted ourselves into your care and we ask Lord would you please lead us and show us and give us the strength give us the grace Lord to follow wherever you would lead we ask it in Jesus name in Jesus name amen why don't you offer thanks to the Lord tonight for his word for his love for us for his grace and his strength Lord bless you. We will see you this weekend. Please remember our announcements, the youth rally on Friday night and our services this weekend. We look forward to seeing you. Lord bless you. Amen.